0: I, I got dressed for the north. You saw me. You know, I, got my, <laughs> I, I got my clobber on for the north. I, Ken said it's <clears> going to be cold. You know, get, get, keep warm. Sort
1: of. The first yeah. thing I was going to say is quite possibly the best dressed man on Bridget Business. Oh, business bless right you. Now. Bless no, honestly, you. I would agree. I was dazzled when you walked through the door. Yeah. I thought I should have made more of an effort, to be honest. This, like,
2: yeah, you showed me up. You don't get enough tweed in this office. You, don't get, you don't get enough tweed, <laughs> generally.
0: Try yeah. generally. Yeah. Yeah. America. I went to America in a bowler hat recently yeah. and uh that went down really weird in dallas i, Did it? <laughs> yeah. but I was looking for a bit of a, a bit of dazzle and I, I think it definitely worked but i'm yeah. not sure many of those guys and girls could have could have made that work
1: hey you know what i might have to have a have a player with a ball of hot. yeah you Did, see, didn't even think about that no, you but... no, you
0: see i could work that would work on you yeah i reckon yeah. that could work yeah on yeah, you. yeah. it's
1: a pretty it's a pretty striking look do you rock, rock tweed not for many years. No. No. I went through a phase when I was a teenager. I bought a tweed um, blazer from a charity shop. Yeah. And wore it everywhere until it, it literally started to like come apart at the seams. And then I had to say goodbye to the tweed. So maybe it's time to reinvest.
0: Well, again, if you I mean,
1: can point me in the direction of a good tailor. Well, no, probably not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not being a cheapskate. I'm not sure I could, but, but, but I,
0: I think definitely, you know, Tweed is on the way back. It, but it's, yeah. it's a, it, mm. it's a silent revolution at the moment. So right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> give cool. it time.
1: No, I like it. Give it time. I like being on the cutting edge, so that, that works for me.
0: Well, you're a marketeer, so you have to stand out, right? That's no, true. No, no marketeer actually makes success by, See, by doing what everybody else does. I what are
2: you, quite
1: agree. What are you thinking?
2: Uh, I'm thinking I, I need to wear more tweed I'm thinking yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair, I, that's I where we tweed. are I've got a nice no the granddad nice, cardigan nice. yeah I'm, you know I'm, I'm I am rocking on an 40 Actually, I'm feeling in, it, it cardigans in, in
0: Steve's defence I have got one of those cardigans <laughs> I've at yeah. home as well yeah, yeah so. it's, with it's, the
1: big with the big collar and everything oh yes it's got to be massive the that collar's, collar's is aggressive it, does it fall down or <laughs> it just hides one of my chins we got chins at the side as well or something
2: it's a cold day in Hull. You need a big, thick woolen cardigan mm-hmm. in for a cold as day. As long as you
1: don't bring your granny's cardigan out again. No, I've retired that. Yeah. After.
2: You'll have to check out. out. Was it out last Christmas? It episode? No, it was the
1: first Christmas one we did. Yeah. And uh, basically, I said to the guys, can you all come in in like Christmas jumpers? All oh, right. And he didn't really get the memo, I guess. <clears throat> I did. I just... So, running around frantically that morning, didn't have a Christmas jumper. Yeah. So, just grabbed what looked like his grandma's cardigan from, from the office and the guys just rinsed him for about 15 minutes straight over this cardigan Right. and I think you went over and immediately bent it didn't I, you? yeah
2: it's, I don't think I've got it anymore no yeah i donated Yeah. donated it, it. Was back a, it, to my ground. It was. A, <laughs> yeah it was an error in judgment man. <laughs> it was, I'll say it yeah
1: was. you don't make many but that was definitely one
2: <laughs> right we're gonna have to move on so uh, welcome to podcast Ian Tomlin thank you very much uh, good, brilliant to have you on Ian so, for, for Watchers listeners, just want to just give us a sort of thirty second a minute introduction to who you are and what you do. Okay, please.
0: Yeah, easily. Um, so, I I sit between three different pillars. One is strategy in organisations and how to help them to grow. Uh, one is technology and how we can use technology to supplement that. And the other is is marketing. Um, so, essentially, my whole career has has pivoted between. Uh, sales and marketing and technology starting and running technology companies helping companies to sell so i've made uh, five or six millionaires in my life uh, which has always been fun but i have never seemed to it doesn't bleed across. <laughs> so i'm doing something horribly wrong there um, uh, but also then on the strategy side i, I spend most of my time helping companies to to start up or to or to find a beachhead or to scale or to sell with the highest valuation. So it's a bit of a blend.
1: Excellent. Oh, uh, you forgot style icon as well. I, well style icon, <laughs> yes. Author.
0: <laughs> there is an aspect of that. I do I do write a lot of books. I've done some fictional books, but mostly I've done sort of business books, yes, for about twenty years now. So um, yeah, my kids are completely bored of any conversation about authoring and writing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've done some work with our, our good partners, Canon. I'm looking for a Canon brand. There's normally one within reaching distance, but I can't find one now. But yeah. Yeah, I normally
0: have a pen with me somewhere, but not today. And you've but got yes. the badge somewhere
2: apparently. But yeah, yeah, so tell I, us about I Canon.
0: started with I started with Canon after working with Rico and Konica on on launching product. Uh, and at that time Canon was literally starting its journey on solutions and also starting its journey on the new range of ir devices um, and so i was brought in as a consultant early on with canon to to help them to work out how to listen better to their customers and to and to fit the products they were bringing through to the marketplace and uh, yeah we did that for 10 years across europe so so that helped me to do a lot of strategy stuff with canon mm. and uh, yeah great company to work with
2: excellent so uh, we were talking just before the, the cameras started rolling in terms of of AI which is a subject we keep coming back to can't actually, get away or, from it, it can't we, we, we literally can't get away yeah um, and one of the things we've talked about in the past is you know is it gonna be uh, a net contributor towards jobs is it are people gonna lose jobs as a result of AI or is it gonna contribute towards more jobs and I think you've been to sort of some conferences recently where that was discussed and I yeah. want to get your view on that as a kicking off
0: point yeah, I was at the Bloomberg Tech Conference this week, uh, which was interesting, uh, to say the least, uh, because pretty much I think most of the agenda in the first half was to do with either sustainability and renewals, or it was to do with AI, and sometimes it was both. Um, but also there's a big conference taking place uh, the back end of this year, which is, again, sponsored by the UK government, looking at uh, how do we control it. Um, but I, I think there's... There's this kind of pedestrian AI in the markets at the moment that people can play with and use, like ChatGPT. Now we've got Claude AI, which is the kind of newer flavor of ChatGPT, if you like, from a different supplier that's looking more at the kind of moral positions of how you use it. Um, and uh, But then you've got this existential threat aspect of AI, uh, and it's, it is joined. And, and there's a big argument, obviously, in the in the industry and outside of it that says, well, what should we be doing with AI? Do we need to limit it before we start, um, or do we do we see where it goes? Uh, but the the answer probably, as usual, is in the middle somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this is like the, this was Elon Musk a few yeah, months back, was it? Yeah, yeah it was like urging you know everyone working on AI to just pause for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that you you've got this Oppenheimer threat, haven't you? Yeah. Where somebody says, you know, I am death. After they've created this beat, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you know. I think I think technologists are fearful of that. Obviously, you had the top technologist, for AI from Google, mm-hmm. uh, vocally uh, saying how he regretted the direction of travel he'd been going in. And, and I think um, there is there is that issue with AI. But at the same time, ninety nine percent of the applications, probably more than that, that we're talking about, are useful, productive, and helpful. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, yeah, there there has been recent reports that say something like 3 million jobs will be lost out of call centers Mm -hmm. and if you like, lightweight, manual, boring jobs that we've always tried to get rid of and people have hated for for years, but they've employed people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now we're looking at maybe uh, something like 18 million new jobs uh, in in um, AI-related topics. But I I think we also got to remember that it's not just kind of coding AI. It's it's people that are using ChatGPT and know how to use it because they're interested. Mm. And it's people that are actually adding their creativity around AI to understand what they could do with it. So I think you've got three layers of, of talent there. It's not just about, mm. you know, traditional coders and programmers and tech people Mm -hmm. it's also about recognizing that if we're not careful we end up with an us and them in the workforce because if you're if you're my age if you're one of the baby boomer sort of generation my, my first instinct with ai is crikey no that's not for me you know you know i try and switch off facebook and everything else as it is you know so ai no but my 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 kids will say no hang on a minute You've got to understand it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to work out what you were going to do with it. It's Mm. going to be around for a long time, and that that applies to business leaders as well. Mm. They've got to understand it, and they've got to understand what they could do with it. It Um,
1: So, as a novelist, a writer, how do you feel about potentially the impact on art from AI? You know, do do you see a time where people are purchasing more AI written books? them books that are written by humans. I think you said at one point how oh, human-written books might become a bit of almost like a, a novelty, a novelty, a delicacy, if you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that well, something you've considered?
0: Yeah. Well, I think this year, uh, it, on the marketing side, I, I probably my my marketing business lost something like a third of its 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 revenues in February of this year. Wow. Uh, overnight, when there was a loss of confidence in in marketing, everybody was thinking, "Hang on a minute, let's just try and." do what we're good at and, mm-hmm. and not spend so much on anything that's going to create no opportunity that's not going to be there mm-hmm. so there was a, there was a change of sentiment in in that period of the year but also i think what we saw was the impact of chat gpt on marketing content as yeah you're saying yeah and i think as a marketeer it's one of the first points of artistic creativity yeah where you're, you're essentially now saying well if, if i used to use a guidebook as a call to action well, what's the point in doing that now when, effectively, there are so many guides and yeah. know, so much content out there? The paucity is is immense, mm. and so that means I think for for creatives, there is a big threat here that you don't really know if you're looking at AI or not. You don't you don't know if you're looking at original mastered content from a human being or not. There are no regulations around that at the moment. And of course, if you're (coughs) my son's a a fantastic guitarist and, uh, you know, so he got up to his kind of grade seven, put a lot of effort into mastering his instrument. And of course, when you when you're doing all of that, you look at AI now and think, well, is it worth it? You know, all these Mm. constant hours of trying to perfect how you can kind of pluck a string. Yeah. yeah. You know, with both hands when you kind of think, well, well, a robot can instantly do that Mm -hmm. with a. With a synthetic generated yeah. sound source hi guys
2: just jumping in i want to talk about one of the services we offer which is robotic process automation also known as rpa that is software that replicates human behavior so if you've got people downloading spreadsheets attaching them to emails going on portals downloading information moving data around all that stuff is perfect for a robot so if that's interesting get in touch let's have a chat let's see if we can help enough from me back to the conversation
0: so i think I think we're in a, a weird space at the moment for humanity, but again, you know, every industrial revolution—and make no mistake, this is mm-hmm. one—has um, winners and losers, and mm-hmm. it has it has impact on change on society. Yeah, yeah. So totally. obviously, when we went to uh, when we went through the industrial revolution, everybody went into the city to get jobs, and and people don't work from home. Of course, now people are working from home mm-hmm. and they're not going into yeah. the city to get jobs. So we're seeing those changes happen now
1: you mentioned earlier about neurodiversity and how that feeds into ai so i'd be interested to get your perspective on that obviously that's something that your neurodiversity is something that you're obviously passionate about
0: yeah what happened is this year i was at another conference i was speaking at a conference called cws uh, summit in london which is for the contingent workforce as in temporary workers hired workers uh, and I was asked to speak about neurodiversity because my son, uh, Mason, has, uh, has gone through and been diagnosed with Asperger's later in life. Uh, so we went through that as a family. In my own sort of marketing teams, 60% of my people are neurodiverse as well. So I, I did feel a bit like a, a massive imposter syndrome doing this, but, but certainly it was, uh, I thought, well, okay, I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. But what was remarkable was the number of blue chip company talent leaders that actually queued up to have a conversation after that. And I think the reality is, uh, and I think Ernst & Young have recently put this really well, is they're recognizing that there are millions of new jobs that are gonna be needed for technical, analytical, creative people. Um, And in the latest generation going into the workforce, I would say the figure of neurodiverse against neurotypical is is pretty much one to one whereas it used to be I mean at the moment the latest figures are it's 3 out of 10 of the, of the workforce so that's a massive change in workforce and the way that the workforce thinks now we don't really know what's causing that um, with autism you know it's been identified from birth so it's not as if it doesn't exist mm. uh, genetically mm. But but it's not clear what what um, activates it, what makes it more extreme in this new generation coming through. But what it means for employers is the way we employ people today goes back to our understanding of business that dates back to the early nineteenth century. You know, so we we envision a business to be an, a machine, and we envision workers to be uh, essentially cogs in that machine, and we think that's the ideal. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a machine that's really efficient and has cogs in it. Mm. But of course, society, when we hit 2020, that relationship between work and home just changed. And what we've seen now is when people, when people come to work, they want to bring their whole self to work. And if you ask millennials, uh, if you interview millennials nowadays and younger generations, they're asking, you know, what can you as an employer do for me? Mm-hmm. Whereas in my generation, we would do anything for a job, you know, because yeah. mm-hmm. we're a baby boomer generation and we were desperate for any sort of job. Yeah. So so I think the psychology of the young has changed, but the psychology of businesses hasn't.
2: So do you think there are, there are more people that are neurodiverse now? Or is it just we're more aware of t- conditions within that bracket?
0: I think there are, yes, but I, 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 also think there are a lot of people in my generation that did not Recognize identify it. themselves as that, yeah. and it wasn't cool to. I mean, I, I, we did a recent uh, event on one of, on this topic of kind of culture and, and neurodiversity, and one of the top majors that's just retired from the British Army said, you know, I was one of the first guys to actually say in senior management in, in the British Army, you know, I'm, I'm dyslexic. Mm. And he said you know it was really difficult to to have that conversation and actually kind of make that point because it was seen as a as a weakness perhaps mm-hmm. or they'll certainly yeah. not, not something that's going to give you a promotion mm-hmm. you know but I, I think now um we're beginning to see organizations like Deloitte and and ernst young have leaders self-identify themselves and say yeah i think i've got dyslexia and yeah. of course that's driving culture change within organizations, because people need that. They need mm. to feel that they've, they've got yeah. a safe space. Well,
1: Richard Branson was always a bit of a trailblazer for that as well, because I think he's a well-known dyslexic. Yeah,
0: dyslexic, yeah, and of yeah. course, Richard's done some really brilliant stuff recently uh, on LinkedIn, talking about his dyslexia and yeah. bringing in the, you know, the charities that are involved in that. But mm. I think one of the reasons we set up the Universal Workforce Institute this year is because there is a disconnect between all of these different charities and groups promoting their topic and making people aware of their topic and the ability of organizations, particularly small organizations, to do anything about it. Yeah. you know, It's just too much information. Yeah. I, I also think, going back to AI, we're seeing a real connection between the advance of AI technologies and neurodiversity, uh, because ultimately, you're gonna need that neurodiverse workforce to arm you with the creativity and thinking differently aspects of that um to to drive the success of ai Mm. um and and so if you don't have the workforce you can't implement Mm -hmm. this technology which is Mm going to hold us back
1: i think that's fascinating idea to think that neurodiversity is increasing like naturally increasing it's not just yeah there's a there's a there's more identification of it but mm-hmm. also more people are just being born neurodiverse. or,
0: well, or is it potentially there, yeah, that? Yeah, I'm not sure that's true. That they're born more neurodiverse. I think it's I think like a, a nature. Ne- there is a genetical kind of imprint to this, definitely. But what activates it is, yeah. is not clear. And what we're seeing is more activation. But I think again, if you look at the way that uh, the way that we learn with our brain it is initially, of, of course, it's like if you do a driving lesson or you play learn to play piano, the first time you do it, you, you kind of start to get pretty good by the end of the hour. And you're thinking, wow, I'm getting the mm. grips with this. Yeah. The next week or next month you come back and do it again. You're completely hopeless and you've lost it all. And of mm. course what's happening in your brain is the node connections don't exist. And if they don't exist you get a burst of drugs. You know, they give yeah. you it gives you dopamine yeah. to kind of give you the the connections yeah, yeah, forged. Synthetically, and of course, after a while, you start to forge those nodes, links in your in your brain to learn how to do this repetitively, uh, until it becomes. We get to that stage where I think we've all had it, where you go to work on your commute, and you think, "How did I get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, did I did I go through that red light? There was a speed camera there. I don't even remember what was going on because you're thinking about what Mm -hmm. you're going to do in in your life. So, so I think when we look at that way that the brain works. What we know with, with games is games, when you're gaming, you're generating huge amounts of dopamine. Mm-hmm. And you're getting instant satisfaction and gratification of yeah. the things that you're looking at and doing. Yeah, yeah. And that's how games keep you interested and entertained. So likewise, what we're seeing is the way that the brain is being educated sure. yeah. is driving young people towards neurodiversity. Mm. But there's a business context to this if you don't have the workforce, if you don't have the creativity, you end up with a group think culture in your business anyway, which is not healthy. Mm. And you don't get that ability to create the diverse community yeah. of skills and thinking yeah, that yeah. gets the best out of your organization. But how many managers uh, really go out of their way to hire people that are not like them? Mm. You know? and this, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that leaders have got. Is if you're in, a, in building a leadership team, you really need to get diversity in your thought process. But it's easy for all of us, isn't it, to hire somebody that's like us yeah, I, yeah. oh, I, I know I how they to think. That person, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So how do people Going back to neurodiversity then? So how do business owners, whether the, whether it's deliberate or not, they will end up recruiting people that are neurodiverse if, if what you said is true in terms of it's more yeah, of so a one-to-one like one so ratio. Reliable, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do business owners? I guess making create an environment which is going to nurture the best from neurodiverse individuals. Are there certain things that we should be, we they should be doing?
0: Well, uh, let me answer that in a roundabout way first, because I think one of the things that I would point out is that it's not necessarily the case that organisations will be recruiting as much neurodiverse talent as they should be, and that's because all of the systems and processes, the CV, is mm. all geared away from anybody that has these. Diversity challenges in the way they think from actually engaging. Um, so, I mean, we recently put together a CV for Leonardo da Vinci, and we wrote out if you, you took took a took a look at all the things that he did and put that into a CV, and you presented that as a CV to a modern employer, they'd say this guy's unemployable. <laughs> the guy's just crazy. One minute he's kind of you know painting, the next minute he's building. You know. Weapons yeah. uh, of mass destruction in that era, <laughs> and then then he's working out how to build a flying machine. So you know, you, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you're for, for us, Leo. <laughs> you know, not for us. Yeah. Thanks very much. So, so I think if you look at that, CVs don't work. We know that they're actually a, a preventative mechanism to get good talent, really, mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're looking at technical talent qualifications that you could qualify now with technology anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's irrelevant you're looking for a cog in a machine you're saying well has this person done this job 60 times before well neurodiverse people don't Mm. do that they're very creative but it doesn't mean they're not really capable so you know one of the the qualities of that i see with mason is he's one of the best customer experience designers i've ever come across in my career in technology and that's because he thinks like a machine Mm. he doesn't look at the Emotional, empathetic kind of aspects of it. He just literally looks at it as a machine. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and so there are there are gifts to this. Everybody with neurodiversity um, differences, I always think they've got a they've got a superpower, and you need to understand what that superpower is. But if you look at many of the famous people through history, even the the more popular ones recently, like Stephen Jobs or or Steven Spiels, Spielberg. You know they're all neurodiverse mm-hmm. you know so these these talents uh, if you use a traditional recruiting approach if you're recruiting people like yourself you're going to end up with neurotypical people you're mm-hmm. going to end up with groupthink mm-hmm. but if you are fortunate enough to get a blend and going back to your original question which i did want to get to ultimately is what what employers can do uh to to improve their business performance is to get a culture where they're they're concentrating not just on the size of the crop, but also the quality of the soil. Uh, and and I think what we're moving into now with AI is more of a philosophical debate as much as it is a, a technology debate. Because you know all business uh, we we don't kind of talk about it in business because it's not seen as kind of heavy business stuff. But everything in business begins with how you think about stuff. You know it's about philosophy. Uh, and what we don't do in business at the moment because we've been focused on business as a machine is think about the quality of the soil and the nutrients of the soil of that culture that you want to build to get the best out of your organization. You don't get the best out of technology without addressing the people issues. I think
2: that's a great analogy. I love that. Don't focus that's on the size of the crop.
1: Focus on the quality of the soil. It's good. Yeah, that whole section is really like got me thinking. Yeah, it's really fascinating actually. The whole neurodiverse thing, so I don't think I've ever thought about it that deeply.
2: No, but I, and you're right on the CV. I mean, even me, I don't think I am neurodiverse, but even applying for jobs it, historically, it's like you know, you need to write a, a letter expressing your interest, you need to write a CV, and you need to fill in various forms where you take bits of your CV and drop that onto an online form. And it's, yeah. And how really many people it, present like that?
0: I mean, I've got a shirt. Um, I, I did an analysis about four months ago now of the different forms of personality profiling. Um, so, you know, you've got two or three, you've got Big Five, it's quite popular. You've got uh, Myers-Briggs, which is mm-hmm. probably the most popular, which is also discredited as being pretty useless. Um, and you've got Hexaco. There's, there's a whole series of, of new forms of personality profiling coming through. But I think what we can learn from personality profiling is even the simplest form of personality profiling that allows humans to understand profiles, which is re- really where Myers-Briggs is coming from. Um, th- there's a, there's a, there is a website, by the way, called 16 Personalities. And if you look on there, you can do a self-assessment of yourself. Mm. We did that with the team. And what we did is actually, we did a, we did a self-assessment based on, initially, Just clean it, do it it for yourself, how you think you are. But then you do it again and say, how do you think you need to be Mm. in your career? Because what happens is is there's the Ian at work and Ian at home, you know? And there's the Ian at home, Ian at work that I project that I know how I need to be for that role, Uh, but also there's Ian at home who I really am. Mm -hmm. And again, if you did a third test, which would be somebody else doing that same personality test of you, what would that look like? Mm. So we had we had our shirts, t-shirts printed where you had you as you imagine yourself uh, for work, and then the real you according to the people that you work with. Right. And, and what's interesting in that is it becomes understandable. You understand the the kind of what that person needs to be successful, what that person How that person operates, how Mm. they think about stuff, what motivates them. Um, and I think that helps you then as an employer to understand well, how do I get these teams to work as high performing teams by understanding what the needs are of the people around the table?
2: Always comes back to people, doesn't it? When we talk about technology, it always comes back to people, which I think there's a there's a lesson in that in itself. Can we just talk about AI again? Because the question I was gonna ask earlier is we we talk a lot about AI and ChatGPT, but I think what we sometimes struggle to do is link the technology to the actual use case. So where where are businesses actually using AI on a day to day basis, and are they using it enough?
0: Well, I think that's that really is the focal point at this this year, yeah. where, where AI has got to in terms of maturity. Uh, and and I think one of the the ways of looking at this is the different types of AI function that we are looking at, because some of these jobs are augmenting humans to do more. Mm. Some of them are are almost like a crane, where effectively you're doing superhuman things with with AI that a human couldn't do at all. Mm. And then you've got the general replacement function, where you're actually just taking a manual job away from a human. So I think you've got a group You've got to group your AI strategy into those three chunks. Mm. If, what can we do to remove boring, mundane, monotonous tasks? What can we do to empower productivity within the people that we've got? Um, and what can we do that would really that we can't do now mm. that AI could help us to mm. do? Now, of course, one of those things is information security because the amount of Um, analytics that has to go in to build this continuous security framework around your business is huge. The amount Mm. of potential threats that you could be looking at. So in that context, for example, AI AI has a great role to play in in helping to make smart decisions around what actually constitutes a serious threat that a human needs to look at. Mm. And that becomes a filtering exercise, doesn't it? But also we're seeing back to marketing we're seeing some fantastic visual AI tooling, mm. so you can actually uh, you can actually now sort of project your business and do training courses using AI avatars mm. that would traditionally have been out of reach for most SMEs. Mm. You know, they couldn't provide that type of information for their customers. Nowadays, that's really accessible. Mm. So I think what we're beginning to see is is the emergence of these three different types of AI solution. Um, and I think we're beginning to see the net, the first tranche of, of, of SMEs and companies actually finding ways to use it. But I, I think one of the challenges with this, Steve, is is data. Mm. What we know from the last 20, 30 years of IT is your outcomes are only as good as your data. And same with AI. If, if AI doesn't have access to the data and the context of data, the data dictionaries, that bring that meta-framing, um, that they're not a particularly useful tool. It, it's only when you can give them access to all of the data fabric of, of your business and your landscapes of, of opportunity that you can really get the best out of AI. So really the challenge I think that organizations face with AI is it, it's, not just a, it's not just a widget of technology. That has to be complemented with a data strategy mm. where you can make the data composable for AI Make it accessible for, for analysis, and then before that, you've got to have people that can imagine that and make that happen and be creative enough to actually build those solutions.
2: And that's the boring bit as well at the times the data in terms of actually getting the right data structures in place, getting that data populated, making sure that it's accurate, it's consistent, and
0: yeah, it, it's people, hugely boring. It, people it, it's don't want to do
2: that foundational stuff, though, they just want to jump to the bit which is the AI creative element so
0: so I launched uh, business intelligence products in the early years of BI uh, when it was we used to call it business intelligence not anything else Um, but the the challenge I always found when you went through a project is initially the chief execs and the senior managers all wanted a dashboard Mm, (laughs) They they all wanted a pretty dashboard so what we'd do then is we'd, we'd get all this data together we'd harvest it together we'd build the dashboard we'd, we'd put it up in front of the the chief exec and and he or she would say yeah it's not a pretty color is it and you think <laughs> really after all that um but again it matters and um uh, and but but then you go a month or two into that uh use of that dashboard and you go back to the users say, how are you getting on with it so well yeah it's good but I don't really look at it anymore because now i know what i'm looking for mm. I, I just if it changes then I'll, I'll look at it but if it's the same i'm not i'm not interested and you start to realize that the way humans work with data is 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 also one of the challenges of data because um and if we go back to uh december the 7th i think it was 1940 when you know pearl harbor was happening um the guys on the radar were looking at all of these dots on the screen, and the first thing that they did is report that to a, to a higher up. Uh, and of course, the higher up said, uh, "Nah, you've got to have got that wrong. It's a mistake." Mm-hmm. You know, so even when we've got the data in yeah. front of, it, I mean, these guys had an hour and a half to you know go get a Starbucks if that was still there at that time, come <laughs> back, you know, waltz down to the guns, get everything prepared. Mm-hmm. But instead of that, they sat on their hands because they the data didn't mean anything to them. Yeah. And as a marketeer, we also know that that the average of data is always boring. And what's interesting are the outlayers of data, mm. the, the data that doesn't fit. Mm. You know, so I spent most of my life looking at data that doesn't fit and say, well, why doesn't it fit? You know, what you need to understand in research of customers, for example, is is what the weird ones are thinking, not what everybody else thinks, because that's the obvious solution. But that can lead you to the an obvious answer Mm. so so i think with data it's a huge problem for ai you've got to sort that out first which i think is why gartner is talking now about getting your data composable decoupling it from your applications Uh, and i've been working with technologies that have been doing that for the last 20 years but but it's boring to get the data Mm. in a form that people can use it and as you say the chief exec will always say all I want mm. is this. Mm. You know, that's all I it's want. It's the tip of the iceberg. Yes, yeah, literally the, 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 the you need top, to build. top bit. You,
2: it's a great point on the days because we, we provide business intelligence using that to solutions. And you're right, you, provide, you present that information and it's interesting. And then I guess the impact degrades over time because they then know that data and it becomes less relevant. I also think people use data to support their own narrative at times
0: oh massively yeah I mean I've actually done projects for for organizations where I know the only reason they're actually asking me to do the research is to prove that they are right yeah Um, but I don't know if you've read the book um, uh, thinking fast thinking slow Uh, but but it's an incredible book about the psychology of humans but one of the conclusions that that, that came out of that book is um, we're terrible at, at second-guessing our own decisions mm. you know we, we don't kind of think let's spend the rest of the day trying to prove myself wrong yeah yeah you know? yeah <laughs> so yeah. so the nature of data is if it says what you want it to say you're good and and very often with with research and and, and business intelligence it's about proving you were right in the first mm. place just for you, so your boss can can sign off on it yeah yeah I
1: think, that's, that's yeah, I think I'm aware of this uh, thinking fast thinking slow actually because we're just trying to look for I think um, what's his name? His name's not coming to me. There's a famous marketer. I had to do it as well. It's like a, it's like a, it's like an inside sort of joke almost on this podcast. Because like, is, is it marketer? Is it marketeer? So obviously yes. you're the marketeer camp. Yeah. I'm a marketer camp.
2: Are you the marketeer camp? I well, don't He know. said it like 15 times, and every time <laughs> I've been like,
1: I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up. But I do I'm, I'm a marketeer camp. You're the campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's, but, it's the right you know, price, but there you go. Not not important. I just I just had to, <laughs> I had to do it. I'd be
2: remiss. Okay, me again. Just jumping in to talk about one of the processes that we often get asked to automate, which is the processing of supplier invoices, also known as accounts payable automation. So what does that mean? Well, most businesses receive invoices from their suppliers and a lot of businesses still have people that are manually reviewing those invoices, making sure that they're correct, making sure they're accurate, and then manually re them into a finance system and already... Or an ERP system. Well, our solution can automate that process. So typically, an invoice will come in, we'll use capture technology to understand what's on that invoice. We'll then match that data up against good receive note to make sure that we've received the product. We'll match it up against purchase order data to make sure that somebody has placed an order for that product. And ultimately, if we can match that up, we can automatically push that into an ERP system or finance system, and nobody has to touch it. How good does that sound? If there are exceptions, if there are things that need to be checked, that's fine. We can use digital workflow to push that to somebody to eyeball it and say, is this correct or does something need to change? ultimately though that can then be pushed again into an erp system or a finance system this is about making your life easier it's about making operations as quick and as efficient as possible and we do that all the time if that sounds interesting then get in touch that's enough from me back to the podcast
1: um but yeah talking about basically we're trying to take mental shortcuts at uh, every pos- you know every time throughout the day right yeah. so anything that allows us to do that and make a quick decision. And this is how marketing be quite can be quite powerful because if it allows you to take that mental shortcut, you're more likely to go with product A than with product B. And obviously that's the thinking fast, right? So the
0: thinking slow. I mean, I haven't read yes. the book. Yeah. So so that, that that's exactly right. The whole principle behind the thinking fast and slow book for marketeers is that um, we are instinctively uh, running our brain in that emotional. Just make it uh, the simple example is one plus one plus one. You think, oh, yes, yeah, two, I know that. So, thinking fast, you're in that zone. But then, if you had a complex algorithmic process to work out, you go into that analytical mode. Now, mm-hmm. uh, business people and, and customers are exactly the same. So, mm-hmm. if you're not careful by encouraging them to do a calculator or to look at the detail of your offer, what you're actually doing is you're asking them to move into their slow brain, which is probably not what you want them to do. You want them to react instantly to your offer mm-hmm. and to move to the next step. Mm-hmm. So keeping keeping customers or, or, or site visitors in your, in your fast brain mode is, is actually part now of the design behavior yeah. that marketers spend all of our time yeah. trying to understand. But what I would also say is one of the consequences of AI since February, is the traditional way that, that most organizations win customers through the internet is a call to action, mm-hmm. something that drives an actionable behavior. The The problem with AI that the AI has caused is there is so much content out of there now, those call to actions are not working. So in, in the book I, I wrote uh, this year about marketing, it was actually about value, customer value, because we don't really talk about customer value enough. In business, um, customer value is what drives the success of your economic engine. It, it's what it's what drives uh, call to actions and behaviors in marketing. Uh, but then you say, but what value have I got for customers? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And part of that could be brand. If I talk about Canon, who is obviously a, a, a company that we both know, um, a fantastic brand, yeah, mm-hmm. and and people will will react to that as valuable mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, it's seen as, as as a not just a, a, a product it's actually almost a you know a type of yeah. acquisition mm. i got a i got a car from a, a japanese company and um and When I got it, I got a bottle of champagne, two glasses. You know, this is your car coming. I got videos coming through every three weeks telling me your car's just been made and it's coming off the shop, you know, Mm. off the shop floor. This is what it looks like. It's going onto the boat. You think this is fantastic. And I said to my wife and kids, I said, if these guys, if this company built uh, mobile phones, I'd be buying mobile phones from them, Mm. not a question, Mm. because I want that experience Mm. that I get. So coming back to the marketing. If you want to get more call to actions, you need to gift some value. And and so the question is not, what should my call to action be? Mm -hmm. The question should be, well, what value have I got that I could gift to that community of interest? But then we also know gifting value, if you're not careful, then your customer just walks out off into the sunset with your box of goodies and mm-hmm. you get nothing from it. Mm-hmm. So you've also got this reward aspect that you've got to give them for connecting with you. Yeah, yeah. So you, you need to come up with strategies for gifting value and then rewarding actions. Um, and we're not used to having that kind of conversation in marketing. We don't talk about conversational paths enough. We don't talk about customer value enough. Uh, and we certainly don't talk about gift and reward strategies mm. enough. If you get those things right, you get more success.
2: Yeah, I, I th- the challenge I see with with giving value from a marketing perspective, and, and I agree with the principle absolutely, but there's so much value out there in the world free of charge. Like, if you want to, if we talk about value as um, a word for information, I, I can learn how to, I don't know, um, run electrics through my house i can probably just go on youtube and find that out watch an hour-long video yeah that's that's a huge amount of value that's just there free of charge on youtube and it's Absolutely. how do you how do you create real value that stands out from what's already out in the market and demands something in return
1: i mean not to jump in but like even it, it when you go on youtube so you want to learn how to Warehouse. Warehouse, right? Yeah. So you go, you go on YouTube and you type warehouse, okay, and you find, I don't know, Jeff's Electrics, mm. and he's got a YouTube channel and he's got a bunch of videos, right? And so he's giving the, you the value of this is how you do these simple things, mm. right? So if enough people watch, some of some of you will be capable enough and patient enough, and we'll just all right, yeah, do the thing. Mm. But he's gonna have a call to action at the end of that video mm. saying. Yeah. You know, if you need any help with anything, whatever, whatever, get in touch with me, and Mm. I'll be happy to help you out. Mm. So he kind of has created that conversational path, if you like, yeah. Yeah. Where he's giving you the he's giving you the information. He's saying, you know, if you want to rewire your house, you know, you want to build a rocking horse, whatever you want to do, Mm. go ahead. Yep. Go get them. them champ. I, a bit
2: of value. I agree, actually, yeah. But it goes back to what you said earlier on in terms of you, th- you need to stand out, and that's what makes it more difficult. There's there's so many people giving so much value that's essentially free. Yeah, yeah. It like becomes even more papers. difficult. Yeah,
1: they're boring. A lot of them are written by ChatGPT. now or me. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> honest,
0: that is a write off. But but back to your point, Steve. The, the the answer to the question of how do you do it is is you have to understand first and foremost what your value is mm-hmm. to your customers. What what are you doing that's bringing that value? Because mm-hmm. you will have some. Every company, it doesn't matter if you're a big or small company, you've got assets. And, and the, the nature of small companies is they're more reactive, they listen better, um, they can respond better, you've got more control if you're a customer with a smaller company, because you can mm-hmm. talk directly to the bosses. Mm-hmm. You go to a big company, they've got perhaps more finance behind them, they've got more brand reputation behind them, but they're also, Big. They're difficult to move. You know. So it doesn't matter what sort of business you're running. If you are selling product, mm. you have value, but you do have to work harder to mm. work out. Well, what is that gift that's going to bring some value? Because there is simply no point throwing content on LinkedIn and mm. social media on YouTube unless you've thought through. Is the value visible to my client going to be enough mm. for them to a pay it attention? And B, can I reward them to come back to me? Because if you don't do that, they won't.
2: Mm. Okay, let's go back to new tech. So you went yeah. to the Gartner. Was it Gartner conference?
0: No, this one was Bloomberg, okay. and which was interesting because obviously Bloomberg Technology is a media organization yeah. focused toward investors. Finally,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what what were the other kind of takeaways from from that conference?
0: Well, I think uh, well certainly just to cover off on the ai stuff ai is at the moment this kind of conversation that won't go away i think mm-hmm. we've had that we, we made that point and um the fact that it is the conversation that won't go away i, I think one of the biggest issues is this concern about how it's used uh, how it's applied who can use it uh, and so there's a there is another conference coming up in london at the moment with rishi sunak sponsoring that conversation globally mm-hmm. about how do we take responsible action uh, as an industry around the use of AI. So that was certainly one of the major themes of this. But the other big topic is sustainability and renewals. And um, I think a lot of organizations now are recognizing that they've got to do more and they've got to do it faster to actually contribute to getting global warming down and doing something about this issue. But also now we've, we've reached a pivot point where sustainability is a competitive advantage. If you can provide better solutions, more sustainable solutions first, you get first mover advantage and people are more prepared to buy your products and services. So there is now a profit motive for organizations to do the right thing, but they need courage. And I think that was really one of the main themes that came out of Mm -hmm. that conference as well. You've got to have courage in setting ambitions and goals as leaders um, and working out then how you're going to get there next. But you've got to have that courage to make those bolder decisions.
2: What, what's the, what are the links between AI in particular and sustainability and ESG? How, how are businesses using the technology to kind of reinforce those credentials?
0: Well, again, I, I, we, we spoke earlier about uh, robotic process automation, mm. which has been flavour of the month now for about, I guess it'd be 2017 i think that really kind of hit the headlines Mm -hmm. um and really all automation conversations started to bleed in rpa back from 2017 i think at the moment with ai where we are is it is it is bleeding edge it's it's you know a lot of people are doing proof of concepts and working around it but the reality is that Uh, AI engines help you to get more done faster and automate faster, and they are a great ingredient into solutions. But we are going to get to the stage, I think, within two or three years where there's no point putting AI on your website landing page because everybody's going to be using AI, you Mm. know. And it's just one of those mechanical things that people would assume you've got it's just got to be in there if you're not using AI you're not going to be competitive Mm -hmm. so but I think if uh, one of the interesting ones I was looking at in that event was the fact they're now looking at using uh, 40 degree water below the surface to power to heat houses around the world and one of the reasons that's possible is because the oil and gas industry has been putting you know these these kind of pipes down for hundreds of years now trying to find oil and gas. And the first yeah. thing they come up with is water. Mm. But of course, then you're looking at, well, now with AI, we can we can do many things to second guess where the best environment's going to be. You know, it, it's that ability to scale out the thought processes that you're having and to find solutions faster. And I don't think AI is necessarily going to save the world, but it's going to be a it's going to be a building block and a catalyst. To help clever people do cleverer things.
2: Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're right on sustainability actually as well. I, th- I remember when I first, I guess, got into business at a university and environmental and sustainability was was a bit of a tick box exercise back then. And businesses claim to do it, but they probably just claim to do it just to tick a box. Mm. Whereas it, it does feel, we talk about it a lot on this podcast actually, it keeps coming up again and Is, it feels like it's a really it's that, yeah, taken hold. It seems like the last it's at like a tipping years. point definitely
1: re- yeah. recently. And I think it's like to to the younger generation as well. Like they yeah. genuinely care about it, yeah, and well, exactly. understandably so, right? Because mm. yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's their future kind of mm. thing. I mean, me probably less so. I mean, obviously, mm. I don't want the atmosphere to go up in flames or anything like that, right? Mm. But it's not really like at the for- forefront of my mind. Yeah, but yeah, definitely younger generations, but
0: yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we're looking to do next year is we're building out this five smiles rating for organisations so that when people are looking for jobs uh, particularly younger people it becomes very relevant for you know they want to know they're going to work for an organisation where there is a moral compass there is a sustainability policy an esg policy there is there is a commitment to mental well-being and the progression of of individuals within that organisation um, and bizarrely, there isn't a measure for that at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. you can't really go online and, and have this kind of five smiles rating and say, OK, right. These guys are pretty damn good as an organization. Their culture is right. They're doing great things in the sustainability. But that's coming. And I, I think, the, you know, this five smiles program will be very interesting next year. because I think we'll get a lot of adoption from it, from organizations that want to, you know, lift their, their flag up the pole and say, hey, we're actually doing mm-hmm. some pretty good stuff here yeah, as an yeah. organization. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I love that shift you know i love the fact that and it's
1: kind of off the back of what you said earlier about the way that the power is kind of being transferred back to the workers Mm -hmm. and away from uh to the employees sorry away from the employers Mm -hmm. so actually it always comes back with with a lot of these things um what what are you calling it esg yeah yeah so esg neurodiversity um, you know, um, diversity like like uh, racial diver- all kinds of d- diversity. The question that you often ask, and you're asking it, you know, on behalf of businesses in general, is well, why sh- should anyone care, and why do businesses care? And I think the discussion that we had with our previous guest was, well, it's kind of you've almost got to like fake it till you make it, right? Mm-hmm. So by putting the control. Or putting more emphasis on the employer which is just naturally happening for some reason is then well now the business has to act in the right way because everyone's watching like well, we're, yeah we're all connected
0: i think the 2020 experience that we all had in lockdown really significantly changed society more than we realized at the time yeah yeah, yeah. and i think when when we saw people moms and dads at home with their kids all of a sudden that started to get into the office you know you couldn't help but notice that gosh my boss has actually got two kids yeah. and one of them's really loud yeah. you know <laughs> and what about that cat um so you know i didn't know cats could do that uh, so so you know i think that that there was a culture shift there and then we've got into this very interesting space or, or challenging space for leaders which is How much of societal responsibility am I allowing into my organization? Why should I care? Mm -hmm. Why should I care? I wanna run a business, that's all I wanna do. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, you cannot employ people nowadays and expect to ask them to leave 80% of their personality Mm -hmm. and 40% of their life at home. You know, People wanna bring their whole self to work and they want to work in an environment where that is a safe space to allow them to come up with ideas and suggestions one of the most fascinating areas i think in in company culture is almost nobody sits around a table in a meeting and says what they think mm. and that's the truth mm. it is the truth yeah we, we all frame our behaviors around um what we think is acceptable based on that imprint of of how you're supposed to act in the corporate world so i've got a I've got a training course that i used to run at canon for the young people that join canon which was i called it the corporate survival guide <laughs> and really what it was about is how you win in a corporate environment mm. because it's different there mm. are there are kind of rules there that you can't see mm-hmm. you know and uh and even in communication i think young people you know my my son goes off on one when I talk but when I put a full stop at the end of a text message. Now for me, you know, it's a full stop. You know, I've ended the sentence, I put the full stop there. Yeah. For him, it's a it's an insult, he won't talk to me for a week. You know, yeah, so yeah. so these things are, are out there. And that means um, if we are going to create the right environment as leaders of businesses, we have to understand, you know, how do we build that community in the right way to get the best out of people. Mm-hmm. But but realize that you know we said you know ai is not necessarily going to save the world the world will be saved by an autistic person it will mm. be sa- saved by a dyslexic person that thinks differently mm-hmm. and applies technology to solve problems in ways that we hadn't thought about because they're building connections that we other people just normally can't see
2: that's the clip got to get that that's a brilliant clip. That is yeah. brilliant. i yeah, love yeah. that that's yeah. absolutely brilliant uh,
0: and just to example that if i may i i wrote uh early on i wrote three business books one was the terrible brand agilization <laughs> which uh, again i i i whip myself every night uh, in, in penitence for that but, but sir, the, yeah. the second book i wrote was about social um social networking when that was brand new or was about to happen and uh, and cloud computing so i called it cloud coffee house um and this was a book about how the cloud would emerge and how social networks would emerge and what would happen when they did. Mm. Uh, my third book was about social operating systems because what I worked out is, irrespective of what every software development guy wanted to say to me at the time, um, I profoundly believe that ultimately all applications will just be online. You know from probably one of the suppliers and we started to see that i think with google and amazon Mm. and microsoft they're all trying to get to the stage where you just go to their site Mm. and plug in Uh, but but i think what that misses again is the is the humanity societal aspect of this is that yeah you don't you don't do work in isolation you do it in a in a team in a group so now what we've seen is this convergence of social networking start to happen with productivity tools so we're seeing productivity tools in zoom mm-hmm. you know you can start to do PowerPoint stuff in zoom yeah, yeah, you know so yeah. so we're starting to see this crossover happening and that's really what the you know the social operating systems book was about is to say actually this is what the future is going to do get ready for it and, and back to the point about neurodiversity I'm on the register somewhere I've never been uh, I've never been sort of uh, diagnosed in the same way that my son has. Um, but I can see connections between things that people can't see. I knew cloud computing was going to come three or four years before it was happening because I was researching the different markets and I could see the connections coming together, um, because that's how my brain works. Mm. It doesn't work in straight lines. It works in patterns, Mm. you know, and I think that's the gift that you get when you blend neurodiverse people with neurotypical people is you need straight line thinkers. And if you're a good boss, you know the best way of building a, a great team is to build that that blend, and get that blend right.
2: Mm-hmm. One more question because I'm conscious of yeah. time. Um, the the podcast is called Tomorrow's Workplace Today, so we ask each guest to cast their mind forward ten years and think about the workplace in ten years' time. And I guess what are the striking differences that you're seeing compared to today? Are there any that kind of any that spring?
0: Well, in my second book, Cloud Coffee House, I wrote the last chapter on this exact point. How could you visualize what that that experience would be like ten years from now, or what that work experience would be like? One of the things that we obviously picked up on is is home mm-hmm. you know, which is a real it's it's a double edged sword, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Because on one hand, people kind of go, yeah, I kind of want to work from home, you know, I, I don't really want to go into the office every day, but mm-hmm. then when you don't go into a, an office community, you kind of miss that social community kind of feel that goes mm. with that. And you miss the connections. You yeah, miss yeah. The, the water cooler moments don't happen anymore. So I, I think one of the areas that we can envision is when you see uh, Aba Voyager and you can see the possibilities of avatars. Mm. Uh, I remember with Canon, um, I was at the, the French uh, exhibition they ran a few years ago. And they were actually beaming these kind of avatars from one part of the world to another, Uh, and you're thinking, "Well, gosh, this this feels real." I mean, Mm -hmm. we're walking around a room, uh, uh, but we're not in the room together. So I think what we can see is that that level of sophistication of technology is going to make communication different. I think we're going to see the tools that we are using today go into one social operating system that we'll just pay some money to Google for or, or Microsoft or one of the other guys. Um, I think the idea of kind of bespoke and custom software will go away. I think the idea of data, um, we will we will not see data in the building blocks that people think about now with relational databases. It's just gonna be ubiquitous. Mm. It's just gonna be up there. And how many people still today have got a laptop with a hard drive on, mm. right? So. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when we went all the way through this, my, my projection was, you know, Star Trek probably had this right. You know, all you need really on your body is a communicator that mm. IDs you, you know, because that ID allows you to connect to the, to the cloud. It allows you to access anything that you want. Anything you need is gonna be up there, mm. you know. So all you need really is to carry your ID into that digital space and you're good to go. So 10 years from now, it's going to be a very, very different place. Uh, one of the challenges I would say, though, uh, Steve, is that with Gartner, I've lost a fortune with Gartner predictions that have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> you know, they always kind of say, this is going to happen in two years, mm. and 10 years later, mm. you're clinging on to the shares of your business, and it's still not converted yet. So so I think sometimes this anticipation of timeline is, is almost impossible to predict, uh, simply for the fact that it doesn't matter if the technology can do it, humans have got a vision in it. Mm. You know, and we had this with the mobile phone, didn't we, that Intel were developing personal computers back in the sort of 60s and 70s that were basically a mobile phone, but they didn't call it a mobile phone. Mm. And then some guy had the idea of saying, oh, it's a mobile phone. Mm. And now, how many of your kids actually use the phone to phone anybody? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a personal computer. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. yeah. back to where it was in the 70s. <laughs> but. It takes that shift of mindset for, um, you know, for people to embrace the technology. And that's why we don't know when it's gonna happen. But I would say that 10 years outline is pretty realistic now in mm. terms of that new, that
2: new future in the office. I think that's a brilliant response
1: great response absolutely and I and love involving Star Trek as well yeah, big yeah. fan of Star Trek
2: yeah are you yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: don't pretend yeah. <laughs> don't, but don't, don't try and fit in
2: <laughs> I'm going to change the subject but yeah, you're absolutely right and Garner. it makes me laugh when it's by 2027 79% of CEOs are going to have invested in generative AI and I'm thinking whatever the stat is I just think yeah, that they exactly. always yeah th- I, I think
0: they they, they, they they aim they aim short yeah. pretty often probably because um maybe I <laughs> don't want to get don't want to get any lawsuits from, from Gartner but, <laughs> but I think maybe because obviously that builds enthusiasm if you yeah. think there's a big number and it's going to happen very mm. quickly I, mm. I think the reality is um, what none of us know is how humans will react to this and and, and this change with AI is, is quite fascinating on the societal impact mm. because of the fact that there aren't many things that have happened in industry that have directly gone straight into the home so what we're seeing now is is consumers are getting really worried about AI because they can see it. Mm. They can use Chat GPT themselves. They're going, Whoa, my job's at risk because of this. It's yeah. that good. Mm, yeah. um, and, and the reality is you think chat GPT is good. You see Claude Two, you see Claude three. I mm. mean where where this is going, it's moving really fast. So I think you know we're in a, a very strange space at the moment, but but certainly I think that with AI, you can't uncouple it from society and you can't uncouple it from, again, neurodiversity. These things are interconnected. and I think the gift of good leaders is they're going to have to take a, a much more holistic approach to do the way they think about their business.
2: Let's leave it there. Ian, thank you very much for coming on. Great pleasure. Thank you, That's
1: been awesome. And definitely hit me up about that suit. Okay. (laughs) The
0: cheaper the better,
1: honestly. (laughs)